Welcome to Beyond Our Focus. I'm Stefan, this is Amanda, and this is Let's Palaver about Wizard and Glass, the fourth novel in the Stephen King saga of books, The Dark Tower. We are in the third part, which is the final part. There is no fourth part. And we are on the eighth chapter called The Ashes. Which... There is, too. Right. How dare you lie to these people? There's no fourth part. There's a, But there's a part four. It's called All God's Chillin' Got Shoes. Wonderful. Yeah. There's no fourth part. <laughs> and... <laughs> there is. Don't lie. And, yes, The Ashes, <laughs> which... Not named for the reason I thought it was. No. So did you think it was just time? Huh? Did you just think it was time? I did. I okay. did. I was like, no, ah, we're, not kind of, we're not there yet. Yeah, but that's all I could... When ashes, and that's all I could think about. I completely forgot about Cordelia. Ah, uh, yes. And her mental breakdown. I didn't even remember this part at all. I really didn't. I think I remember them escaping. That was it. Otherwise, everything that led up to it... Nope. Not as much. I remember what she did to get them. Oh. No, I didn't even remember that. I remember reading that. But I've read uh, Wizard in Glass three, four, five times. Oh, more like five, like five or six Things times. This will so. be the third, because I read it the first time originally, the second time when you had me reading the series over, just so that I could read the end, last book, and now this time. So yeah, this will probably, be the third. This probably makes like six. Because I read it like three or four times... Just beforehand, and I never, I never could keep. I kept waiting too long, and I okay, I'll restart and do it all over again. <laughs> so I've read this one quite a few times, and then I listened to it, and now I'm reading it. Yeah. Also, this is the first Let's Palaver of October. I guess so, isn't it? Yes, because Monday was still September. The thirtieth. Yep. <laughs> the last. The last. We had the last Let's Palaver. Of September, and now it's the first of October. Yay! No, it's not the first of October. No, it it's is the, the first let's the, collaborate the, of October, but I didn't want to repeat all that again. See, I said it is... Did I say the date? Because technically the date's going to be Monday. Yeah. Which is what? Uh, let's see. Today is... Seventh? Yes. Today, when you might be listening to this, is October <laughs> 7th. We're really... Would it be October 7th? Because then the first would be a Monday. Does that make sense? No, then it has it to be the seven days. It's just weird. If, no, I thought Sunday was the 6th. Tomorrow. Today's Friday. It is Friday. Saturday, okay. Sunday, Monday, 4th. I mean, that makes sense. Okay. But usually seven days before a Monday should be another Monday. Logically. <laughs> okay. First off. It doesn't feel works. like October. I don't know how time works. This, this, the South runs differently, guys. The South just boils your brain until you can't yeah, think I mean, anymore. This is right. It just doesn't feel right. Anyways, four happy or five October. minutes in. Happy October. Happy October. We're jumping into the ashes. Okay. Panic is highly contagious, especially in situations when nothing is known and everything is in flux. Which makes sense for about everybody in this town, because just out of nowhere, out of nowhere, suddenly there's death. Which this place, you know, natural death probably well, occurs not, a not lot. Even, not even, not even normal death though. 
Never. That's the thing. The mayor and the chancellor have been killed by these friendly outsiders. Yes. This is a, a lot worse than your normal, typical, maybe someone got carried away at the bar and killed someone. No. This is the mayor of the town being slaughtered and the chancellor. Yes. So everybody is under panic. Everybody is in what confusion. Everybody's confused. I don't even think it's panic at this point. It's just confusion. Confusion and lots of panic. People are upset. It is frightening. Things are happening. The boys. Yes. So we are now with Susan, who is... I think this takes place right after she's escaped. Like, she's she's gone down the window like she normally does. And the first person she meets is Miguel, who I think has helped her a couple times. Not with the whole Roland thing, but just... Don't remember Miguel at all. Didn't care about this part at all. Like, can we just get past this? (laughs) Either way, uh, it is a gentleman who pretty much has been nice to her, but he just, she just notices that he's in such a state that he's kind of just wandering in the road and almost getting hit by everything coming through. Because everybody wants to know what happened to the mayor. Mm-hmm. So she uh, kind of just goes to the stable to get yeah, Pylon. Yeah, she rode straight down the high street thumping her spurless heels at Pylon's sides till the big horse was fairly flying. Sure. Thoughts, questions, possible plans of action, none of those had a place in her head as she rode. She was but vaguely aware of the people milling in the streets allowing Pylon to weave his own path through them. The only thing she was aware of was his name. Roland. Roland. Roland! Ringing in her head. Like a scream, everything had gone upside down. The brave little Katat they had made that night in the graveyard was broken. Three of its members jailed. It was not long to live. If they even were still alive, the last member lost and confused as crazy with terror as a bird in a barn. If her panic had held, things might have turned out in a much different fashion. But as she rode through the center of town and out the other side, her way took her towards the house she had shared with her father and her aunt. That lady had been watching for the very rider who now approached. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) Oh, and man, is she off her rocker. As Susan neared, the door mm-hmm. flew open and Cordelia, dressed in black mm-hmm. from throat to toe, rushed down the front walk to the street, shrieking from either horror or laughter. Perhaps both. The sight of her cut through the foreground haze of panic in Susan's mind, but not because she recognized her aunt. Rhea, she cried, and drew back on the reins so violently that the horse skidded, reared, and almost tilted them over backwards. So... Her aunt's look just scared her so badly she thought it was Rhea and was like, nope. <laughs> I'm done. I'm not going here. If Rhea's here, I'm done. I'm out. Uh, Cordelia Delgado wearing her best black dress and a lace mantilla? I have no idea. Over her hair. Stood in front of the house as if in her own parlor, taking no notice of the hooves cutting the air less than two feet in front of her nose. In one gloved hand, she held a wooden box. 
Susan barely recognized that this wasn't Rhea, but the mistake really wasn't that odd. Aunt Cord wasn't as thin as Rhea, not yet anyway, and more nearly dressed except for her dirty gloves. Why her aunt was wearing gloves in the first place, Susan didn't know, let alone why they looked so smudged. But the mad look in her eyes was horribly similar. Good day, Tien, Miss O. Miss O so young and pretty. Aunt Cord greeted her in a cracked vivication? Vivacious. Woo! Vivacious voice that made Susan's heart tremble. Aunt Cord curtsied, one-handed, holding the little wooden box curled against her chest with the other. Where go ye on this fine autumn day? Where go ye so speedy? To no lover's arms, that seems sure, for one's dead and the other's Others, Tam? Pretty much taken, but without the K. Okay. Tayen. Tayen. So pretty much, she is very smug, because she knows that Thorin is dead, and so she's like, you know what? And she's still insanely convinced that yeah. she's she's just doing Dearborn. Yeah. I, she, too little proof for me to just go all in on that, but she's he's gone. Cordelia laughed again, thin lips drawing back from big white teeth. Horse teeth, almost. Her eyes glared in the sunlight. Her mind's broken, Susan thought. Poor thing. Poor old thing. Did they put Dearborn up to it? Aunt Cord asked. She crept to Pylon's side and looked up at Susan with luminous liquid eyes. They did, didn't they? Aye, perhaps they even gave him the knife he used after running your lips or it for good luck. You're in it together. Why not admit it? At least admit these lane with that boy, for I know it's true. I saw the way he looked at ye the day you were sitting in the window and the way ye looked back at him. It's just too much. It's too big an assumption over a look. Didn't nearly catch him. Didn't catch him in some weird place together. Nothing. Just y'all looked at each other the wrong way. It must be so. Susan said, If ye'll have the truth, I'll give it to ye. We're lovers, and we'll be man and wife ere year's end. <laughs> Cordelia raised one dirty glove to the blue sky and waved it as if to sing hello to the gods. She screamed with mingled triumph and laughter as she waved, And ye be wed, she thinks. Ooh, ye'd no doubt drink the blood of your victims on the marriage altar too, would ye not? Oh, wicked, it makes me weep. But instead of weeping, she laughed again, a howl of mirth into the blind blue face of the sky. We planned no murders, Susan said, drawing, if only in her own mind, a line of difference between the killings at Mayor's house and the trap they had hoped to spring on Farson's soldiers. And he did no murders. No, this is business of your friend Jonas, I wot. His plan, his filthy work. Cordelia plunged her hand into the box she held, and Susan understood at once why the gloves she wore were dirty. She had been grubbing in the stove. I curse thee with ashes, Cordelia cried, flinging a black and gritty cloud of them at Susan's leg and the hand which held Pylon's reins. I curse thee to darkness, both of thee. Be ye happy together, ye faithless, ye murderers, ye cozeners, ye liars, ye fornicators, ye lost and renounced. With each cry, Cordelia Delgado threw another handful of ashes, and with each cry, Susan's mind grew clearer, 
colder. She held fast and allowed her aunt to pelt her. In fact, when Pylon, feeling the gritty rain against his side, attempted to pull away, Susan gigged him set. Her mind was her own again. She had an idea of what to do, and for that alone, she supposed she owed her aunt some sort of thanks. I forgive ye, aunt, she said. The box of stove ashes, now almost empty, tumbled from Cordelia's hands. What? she whispered. What does thee say? For what ye did to your brother and my father, Susan said, for what ye were a part of. Because I know you were. She rubbed a hand on her leg and bent with the hand held out before her. Before her aunt could pull away, Susan had wiped ashes down one of her cheeks. The smudge stood out there like a wide, dark scar. But wear that all the same, she said. Wash it off ye like, but I think you'll wear it in your heart yet a while. She paused. I think ye already do. Goodbye. Where does thee think thee's going? Not to him. You'll not go to him now, ye mad goose. Susan turned her horse away. None of your business, aunt. This is the end between us. But mark what I say. We'll be married by year's end. Our firstborn is already conceived. It's a little weird, but... Thee'll be married tomorrow night if thee goes nigh him. Joined in smoke, wetted in fire, bedded in the ashes. Bedded in the ashes. Do ye hear me? The madwoman advanced on her, railing, but Susan had no more time to listen. The day was fleeting. There would be time to do the things that needed doing, but only if she moved at speed. Goodbye, she said again, and then galloped away. Her aunt's last words followed her. In the ashes, do you hear me? So first we get a... We, we finally have that conversation between Cordelia and Susan where there's been hints of it, there's been play at the words, but this time literally Susan said, I know what you did. I know that you were part of my father's murder. You killed your brother. You were part of it, whether you like it or not. And I know about it. And also, for some reason, we have some weird confirmation that Susan thinks that she's pregnant with Roland's child. Who knows if it's true? It's just one of those things. Yeah, you know, and we'll never truly find out. <laughs> so yes, now we have Susan on her horse going about what she has in her mind. She has plans. Plans. Lots and lots of plans. But the first thing that happens is on her way, suddenly horses and a uh, familiar looking cart, as at least familiar to us, comes down the road. So she quickly hides. Yeah, she uh, definitely does. Hides. Yeah. Uh. It took the riders longer to reach position than she would have expected, and when they finally got there, she saw why. Rhea was with them, sitting in the black cart covered with magical symbols. The witch had been scary when Susan had seen her on the night of the kissing moon, but still recognizably human. What the girl saw passing before her now, reckoning from side, rocking, rocking from side to side in the black cart and clutching a bag in her lap, was an unisexed, sore-rattled creature that looked more like a troll than any human being. With her were the big 
coffin hunters. All I picture at this point is Smeagol. <laughs> I mean, that's probably closer to where <laughs> she is. Just covered in more sores. Like, if you really think about it, her just clutching, like, the, the, the pink ball. Of course, it's in the bag right now. But just her obsessing over it. Her draining her life into this thing. And then... Well, if you think about it, it's honestly... It's the same. The Rollins talked about how Lord of the Rings was a very big inspiration. Yeah. And there are thing elements in the books that you can tell were definitely inspired by. Yeah. And I think this might kind of be another one of those things. So it's like it, it's, Rhea is is the Rhea is the Smeagol, the Smeagol of our story. And the precious ring is the pink glowing orb. <laughs> the grapefruit. <laughs> Anything else here? Uh, well, <laughs> to seafront. Hi, you on, and at full speed. I'll sleep in Thorn's bed tonight, or know the reason why. Sleep in it, and pee in it if I'd like. If I take a notion. Hi, you on, I say. De Pape, it was his horse. The cart had been harnessed. Turned around and looked at her with the taste and fear. Still your mouth. <laughs> her answer was a fresh burst of laughter. Just like, Depape, you're a little gutsy, but at the same time. <laughs> I mean, she's a death doorstep. I mean, she's not doing well. She falls out the car, she's dying. <laughs> we just casually hit a bump. <laughs> oh, no! Ooh, snack neck. Don't take much. Uh, but no, I think that's about it. They go by, and Susan heads on her way. Hmm. Ashes, she thought. Ashes and ashes. But not us, Roland. I swear, my darling. Not us. Well, that's accurate. So, yeah. So, what's... What she just doing is she went back to a shack that her... The last shack her and Roland had been in. And she found... Like, she even found their old picnic food. Yes. Older picnic food, which she scarfs down. Yeah. She's like, she doesn't care. She's hungry. She hasn't eaten since, like, the day before. It has ants on it. She just, like, brushes them off. When she had finished everything, she went to the north corner of the hut and moved the hide someone had begun to cure and then lost interest in. There was a hollow beneath, within it wrapped in soft leather with Roland's gun. If things go badly, they must come here and take them west to Gilead. Find my father. With faint but genuine curiosity, Susan wondered if Roll had really expected she would writhe blithering off to Gilead with his unborn child in her belly, while he and his friends were roasted, screaming and red-handed on the reap night bonfire. Sorry, there's a bad place to start laughing, but it's just... Come on. There's there's a baby. Just, it's one of those things that it's like in books, in movies, in TV shows and stuff, you always have the 16-year-old girl who's in her first relationship just going off doing things. And automatically, she has to be pregnant. Because she's so in love with this boy, she has to be pregnant. Well, I mean, there's been a drastic amount of unsafe sex, yeah, well, okay? that's true. That's true. Like an insane amount. <laughs> Over the last few months of going at it. And you know what? Is it really surprising a baby is going to happen? No, it's just funny. It's just, I just find it funny. Yes, very cliche. Yeah. Very. But 
Actually, that's what it is. Alright, so you concealed them in the blanket roll behind your saddle, just as Roland had, then mounted up and headed east again. But not towards town. Not yet. She had one more stop to make first. Oh, I forgot about this part. Because we were talking earlier about whether this entire chapter was Susan. And I forgot that they had the town meeting. Yes, I I forgot the town meeting too. Which is the only time we leave Susan. Yes. Yes, there is the town meeting from good old Lenny here. Yeah, no one was told what it was going to be about. No one had was told... Like, the news that Thorne had been murdered or whatever hadn't gotten out yet. It hadn't really left the Thorne's manor. So this was the first time anybody in the town was hearing about it. Was they were having a town meeting and it was Lenny's job to set forth the panic and the anger and hatred towards Roland and his group. Yeah, and that's exactly what he does. But not outright. There, it, was, it was a clever plan to mention stuff and say that justice was going to be served, but at the same time letting it brew in other people's minds that they wanted this revenge. Hartthorne and Kimberai had been murdered by Dearborn, Heath, and Stockworth, Lenny told the crowd of men in Denham and women in faded Gingham? Yeah. Wherever that is. The crime had come home to them because a certain item, a bird's skull, left in Mayathorn's lap. Murmurs greeted this. Many of Linny's listeners had seen the skull, either mounted on the horn of Cuthbert's saddle or worn jauntily around his neck. They had laughed at its prankishness. Uh, now they thought of how it had laughed at them. And realized he had been laughing at a different joke all along. The faces darkened. The weapon used to slit the Chancellor's throat, Lenny continued, had belonged to Dearborn. The three young men had been taken that morning as they prepared to flee Magus. Their motivations were not entirely clear, but they were likely after horses. If so, they would be for John Farson who was known to pay well for good nags, and in cash. They were, in other words, traitors to their own lands and to the cause of the affiliation. So many lies <laughs> tangled up in this. What's even worse is it says, Lenny had planted Brian Hookie's yeah. son, Rufus, three rows back. Now, exactly on time, Rufus Hookie shouted out, Has they confessed? Aye, Lenny said, confessed both murders and spoke it most proud, so they did. Yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure they did. Exactly, mm-hmm. <laughs> Says, Dearborn said that Jonas and his friends had caught on to what they were doing and took word to Reimer. They killed Chancellor Reimer to shut him up while they finished their chores, and Thorin, in case Reimer had passed the word on. This made little sense, Litigo had argued. Jonas had smiled and nodded. No, he had said, not a mite of sense, but it doesn't matter. Lenny was prepared to answer questions, but none were asked. There was only the murmur, the dark looks, the muted click and clink of reap charms as people shifted on their feet. Um, Of course, 
they decided they were going to cancel all the events except for important ones. Very important things. Yeah. Like the stock line meeting and the auction, horse and pig and cow and sheep, and the bonfire at Moonrise. The bonfire and the burning of the guys. Char Yu Tree was the end of Reaping Fair Day and had been since the time out of mind. Nothing would stop it save the world, the end of the world. The bonfire will burn, and these stuffy guys will burn on it, Elder Jones had told Lenny. That's all you're to say. That's all they need to say. And he'd been right. Lenny saw it. It was on everyone's face. Not just the determination to do right, but a kind of dirty eagerness. There were old ways, old rites, of which the red-handed stuffy guys were one surviving remnant. There were... Whatever that word is. Los cer- Ceremoniosos. Sure. Char you tree. It had been generations since they had been practiced, except every once and again in secret places out in the hills. But sometimes, when the world moved on, it came back to where it had begun. Nope, but that still works. <laughs> Keep it brief, Jonas said. And it had been fine advice. Fine advice indeed. He wasn't a man Lenny would have wanted around in more peaceful times, but a useful one in times such as these. Yeah, just lots and lots and lots of lies. Gods give you peace. Gods give us all peace. Long days and peaceful nights. That threw me off so bad. (laughs) Like my brain literally was like, no, 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 no. Like, pleasant. Yeah, make sure pleasant. you mention the bonfire and yeah. the stuffy guys, because that has tradition, and we all know what it's going to make everyone to do. Yes. It's like, we're we're going to use the word stuffy guys, but we know in your heads you're wanting to use actual guys. <laughs> Ugh. The crowd streamed away without speaking, most as Lenny had foreseen, headed for the saloons. Their way took them past the jail, but few looked at it. And those few who did, did so in tiny, furtive glances. The porch was empty, and the door stood ajar, as it usually did on warm and sunny afternoons. The boys were inside, no doubt about that, but there was no sign that they were being guarded with any particular zeal. If the men passing on their way downhill to the rest and the Bayview had banded together into one group, they could have taken Roland and his friends with no trouble whatsoever. Instead, they went by with their heads down, walking stoically and with no conversation to where the drinks were waiting. Today was not the day, nor tonight. Tomorrow, however. Mm-hmm. Not <sighs> too far from the barquet, Susan saw something on the barony's long slope of grazing land and made her rein up and simply sit in the saddle with her mouth open. Below her, and much further east of her position, at least three miles away, a band of a dozen cowboys had rounded up the biggest herd of drop runners she had ever seen. Perhaps 400 head in all. They ran lazily, going where the vax pointed them with no trouble. Probably think they're going in for the winter, Susan thought. But they weren't heading towards the ranch ranches running along the crest of the drop. The herd, so large it flowed on the grass like a cloud shadow, was headed west towards the hanging rock. Soonison had believed everything Roland had said. 
But this made it true in, the pers- in a personal way. One she could relate to directly to her dead father. Horses, of courses. You bastards, she murmured. You horse-thieving bastards. She turned Pylon and rode for the burned-out ranch. To her right, her shadow was growing long. Overhead, the demon moon glimmering ghostly in the daylight sky. So she can clearly see with her own eyes that everything, everything's there. The horses that they're moving for Farson, everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, we're, we're... They're doing exactly what they're using the kids doing. Yes. They're gathering as many horses as possible and all the oil and giving it to Farson. Mm-hmm. So... The next part is Susan actually going into Barquet, where the boys have been staying. Wasn't is the only reason she's there to get the fireworks? Was there a reason why she went inside? I guess she assumed maybe they were in there. I don't know. Maybe. I, don't know. I mean, at some point she goes and gets a whiff of Roland's bed. Well, <laughs> well, she walks in and that's her first instinct, and she's like, "No, no, no!" But she does like check. I don't know if maybe he told her to check to see if the other guns were there because she does check the hole. Mm. And realizes it's empty, but well, maybe she thought maybe by chance there's something else in there, something yeah. they missed. But but um, she of course because it says she went down to the aisle between the bunks, dropped to one knee, and looked into the hole. Nothing. Yet she doubted if what she had come for had been there in the first place. The hole wasn't big enough. So yeah, I guess it was. She didn't know where they were. Mm-hmm. So, so she was just looking around trying to see what she could find. So of course she. Uh, Looked at, wondered which bed was Roland's, and then, of course, was like, no, no, I don't have time for it. And then, so, walked outside again. There was nothing behind the bunkhouse, nothing behind the pivy, or to either side of it. She went around to the back of the old cook shack next, and there she found what she had come looking for. Placed casually and with no attempt at concealment, the two small barrels she had last seen slung over... Capric, whatever heck his Capricoso. name. Sure, back. The thought of the mule summoned the thought of Shimi, looking down at her from his man's height, <laughs> and with Sopel Boy's face. I'd like to take a Findiano, whatever kiss from you. <laughs> I don't know these Spanish words; they're hard. Findiano, kiss from me. Which? What did we figure out? What that was? Wasn't it just like? End of the year. End of the year, yeah. yeah basically, end of the year. Which makes sense. Fin yeah. the Anya. Yeah, okay. Um, says Shimi, whose life had been saved by Mr. Arthur Heath. Shimi, who had risked the wrath of the witch by giving Cuthbert the note meant for her aunt. Shimi, who had brought these barrels up here. They had been smeared with soot to partially camouflage them, and Susan got some on her hands, and the sleeveless, the sleeves of her shirt as she took off the tops. More ashes... But the firecrackers were still inside, the round, fist-sized big bangers, and the smaller lady fingers. She took plenty of both, stuffing her pockets until they bulged, and carrying more in her arms. She stowed them in her saddlebags, then looked up at the sky. 3.30. She wanted to get back to Hambry no earlier than twilight, and that meant at least an hour to wait. So, of course, she goes back to the bunkhouse and decides to look for his bed anyways. So... She finds it, I think, the first time. Yeah. She lay on his bed and looked towards the window, watching the light drain away. Once she raised her hands in front of her eyes, examining the barrel soot on her fingers, 
She thought of going to the pump in front of the cookhouse and washing, but decided not to. Let it stay. They were katet, one from many, strong in purpose and strong in love. Let the ashes stay and do their worst. Well, about that. <laughs> oh, don't they ever. So, yes. So, now Susie goes on her way to the Traveler's Rest. Uh, ten minutes after the sun had finally gone behind the hills, filling the high street with thick mauve shadows. Um. As she drew Pylon up in front of the saloon with a murmured word, a shape rose out of the shadows. She tensed, and then the first... Orangey. Orangey? Just orangey. That's yeah. A, okay. It's not... Okay. <laughs> I just really expected it to be a different word. It was just orangey. Orangey light of the raising moon caught Shimi's face. She relaxed again. Even laughed a little. Mostly at herself. He was part of their quartet. She knew he was. Uh, was it surprising that he should know as well? Susan, he murmured, taking off his sombro, sombrero. I can't do Spanish. It's too hard. And holding sombrero. it against his chest. I've been waiting for ye. Why, she asked. Because I knew you'd come. He looked back over his shoulder at the rest. A black bulk sprayed crazy light towards every point of the compass. We're going to let Arthur and them free, ain't we? I hope so, she said. We have to. The folks in there, they don't talk, but they don't have to. I knows, Susan, daughter of Pat, I knows. She supposed he did. Is Coral inside? No, the Coral's the Mayor Thorne's house. Prepping the body. Mm-hmm, prepping the body. Your mule, Shimmy. All saddled, and I got the long halter. She looked at him, open mouth. How did ye know? Same way I knew you'd be coming, Susan sighed. I just knew. He shrugged, then pointed vaguely. Cappy's around the back. I tied him to the cook's pump. That's good. She fumbled in the saddle bag where she had put the smaller firecrackers. Here, take some of these. Do you have a sulfur or two? Aye. He asked no questions, simply stuffed the firecrackers into his front pocket. She, however, who had never been through the bat wings of the Traveler's Rest in her whole life, had another question for him. What do they do with their coats and hats and serapes when they come in, Shimi? They must take them off. Drinks warm work. Oh, aye. They put them on the long table just inside the door. Some fights about whose is whose when they are ready to go home. She nodded, thinking hard and fast. He stood before her still holding the sombrero against his chest, letting her do what he could do, could not, at least not in the conventional understood way. At last, she raised her head again. Shimi, if you help me, you're done in Hambry. Done in Magus. Done in the Outer Ark. You go with us if we go away. You have to understand that, do you? She saw he did, his face fairly shone with the idea Aye, Susan, go with you and Dearborn and Richard Stockworth and my best friend, Mr. Arthur Heath. 
go to Inworld, we'll see buildings and statues and women's and gowns like fairy princesses. And if we're caught, we'll be killed. He stopped smiling, but his eyes didn't waver. I killed. Will be if Tayan most like. Will you still help me? Cappy's all saddled, he repeated. Susan reckoned that was the answer. Enough. She took hold of the hand, pressing against the pressing against his umbrella to Simi's chest. The hat crown was pretty well crushed, and not for the first time. She bent, holding Shimi's fingers with one hand and the horn of her saddle with the other, and kissed his cheek. He smiled up at her. We'll do our best, won't we? She asked him. I, Susan, daughter of Pat, will do our best for our friends. Our very best. Yes. Now listen, Shimi, very carefully. She began to talk, and Shimi listened. Good old Shimi. Ah! Shimi's great. Shimi's, Shimi's great. Great, great, great character in this. Mm. And just wants to do the best. He knows that they didn't do anything. Of course. And he <sighs> he doesn't... You can tell he doesn't really feel hate towards anybody. Like, he doesn't... He's not mad at everybody. He doesn't really... He's not mad at the situation. He's just... I know what I have to do. And I want to I wanna help my friends. That's yes. it. That's I want to help them. I know they're good. 20 minutes later, a lone vaquero led a mule along Hill Street in the direction of the sheriff's office. Um, nearly all the booths were closed, and of those few that remained open, only the fortune teller was doing any business. The, the vaquero was wearing a heavy serape. If this particular cowboy had the breasts of a woman, they were concealed. The vac wore a large, sweat-stained sombrero. If this cowboy had a face of a woman, it was likewise concealed. Lo, from beneath that hat's broad, broad brim came a voice Does she just think if she walked in there love. with guns that no one would take her seriously and do nothing? Probably. But in the end, this brow doesn't help anything. No. They still don't take her seriously. It's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I think maybe she wanted to... I don't know if maybe she wanted to disguise herself as for at first. Like, I don't I don't really think it was I'm trying to save myself. Like, I don't want you to recognize well, me. Why don't they use that? I think she thinks that if, she, if they think she's a man coming in with a gun, that then maybe they'll listen to her and just let them out. Yes. That if, if it was Susan Delgado coming in with a gun, that nobody would do jack squat. I think they probably would have rushed her faster, maybe. <laughs> they just would have laughed at her. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really all it would have been. But, uh, no, and then she just just decided to hide everything. She, of course, they had extra hats, extra, you know, ponchos and stuff on the horse or that she was leading or mule or whatever. She No, it is a mule Yeah, she's leading. They're um, all prepped. For a good getaway. Yes. As the vac neared the sheriff's office, the singing ceased. The place might have been deserted if not for the single dim light shining through one window. In the porch rocker was the stuffy guy. There were no guards, absolutely no sign that the three most hated men in Magus were... Okay. Sequestered within. For some reason, my brain read the word and then I moved on and was like, nope. That go right back. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> And now, very faintly, the vaquero could hear the strum of a guitar. It was blotted out by a thin rattle of firecrackers. 
The back looked over one shoulder and saw a dim figure. It waved. The vaquero nodded, waved back, then tied the mule to the hitching post, the same one where Roland and his friends had tied their horses when they had come to introduce themselves to the sheriff. The door opened. No one had bothered to lock it. While Dave Hollis was trying for about two hundredth time to play the bridge of Captain Mills, you bastard. What an interesting song. <laughs> yep. Uh, hey, Jude. Actually, <laughs> uh, the room flickered with mild orange lamplight. You no, keep, orangey? No, not orangey. Orangey lamplight? Lamp light? You keep it up, Deputy Dave, and there won't have to be an execution, Cuthbert Allgood said. He was standing at the door of one of the cells with his hands wrapped around uh. the bars. We'll kill ourselves in self-defense. Shut up, maggot, Sheriff Avery said. He was half-dozing in the wake of a four-chopped dinner, thinking of how he would tell his brother in the next barony about this heroic day. He would be modest, but he would still get it across to them that he'd played a central role. That if not for him, these three young ladrones... I don't even know that one. Ladrones? Might have. Just don't sing, Cuthbert said to Dave. I'll confess to the murder of Arthur L. himself if you just don't sing. Go, Cuthbert. To Bert's left, Elaine was sitting cross-legged on his bunk. Roland was lying on his with his hands behind his head, looking up at the ceiling. But at the moment the door's latch clicked, he swung to a sitting position, as if he'd only been waiting. That'll be Bridger, Deputy Dave said, gladly putting his guitar aside. He hated this duty and couldn't wait to be relieved. Heath's jokes were the worst. That he could continue to joke in the face of what was going to happen to them tomorrow. I think I think it's likely one of them, Sheriff Avery said, meaning the big coffin hunters. In fact, it was neither. It was a cowboy all but buried in the Isarape that looked much too big for him, and wearing a hat that came way down over his eyes. To Herc Avery, the fellow looks like somebody's idea of a cowboy stuffy. Say, stranger, he said, beginning to smile, for surely this was someone's joke and Herc Avery could take a joke as well as any man. Howdy! What business do ye... The hand which hadn't closed the door had been under the serape. When it came out, it was clumsily holding a gun all three of the prisoners recognized at once. Avery stared at it, his smile slowly fading. His hands unlaced themselves. His feet, which had been propped up on his desk, came down to the floor. Whoa, partner, he said slowly. Let's talk about it. Get the keys off the wall and unlock the cells, the back said in a hoarse, artificially deep voice. Outside, unnoticed by all save Roland, more firecrackers rattled in a dry, popping string. I can't hardly do that, Avery said, easing open the bottom drawer of his desk with his foot. There were several guns left over from that morning inside. Now, I don't know if this thing's loaded, but I don't hardly think a trail dog like you... <laughs> the newcomer pointed the gun at the desk and pulled the trigger. The report was deafening in the little room, but Roland thought, hoped, that with the door shut, it would sound just like another firecracker. Bigger than some, smaller than others. Good girl, he thought. Oh, good girl, but be careful. For God's sake, Sue, be careful. All three of them standing in a line with cell doors now, eyes wide and mouths tight. The bullet struck the corner of Sheriff's roll top and tore off a huge splinter. Avery screamed, tilted back in his chair, and went sprawling. 
The drawer shot out and overturned, spilling three ancient firearms across the board floor. Susan, look out, Cuthbert shouted, and then, no, Dave! At the end of his life... I love it. They start that sentence yes. that way. We don't get the action first. Nope. Nope. No, of course At not. the end of his life. Like, oh, look. I'm sorry, Dave. Goodbye. <laughs> You're gone. It was duty and not fear of the big coffin hunters which propelled David Hollis, Dave Hollis, who had hoped to be sheriff of Magus himself when Avery retired... He forgot that he had serious questions about the way the boys had been taken as well as about what they might or might not have done. All he thought of then was that they were prisoners of the barony and such would not be taken if he could help it. He lunged for the cowboy in the two big clothes meaning to tear the gun out of his hands and shoot him with it if necessary. Well, (laughs) you don't really jump at somebody with a gun. It's, it's not like, a good idea. Like, if you think about it, the way they described this person was clumsily holding a gun. Mm-hmm. And when the moment Avery says, you know, you're not going to do something, and then, well, bam, they fire a shot off at the corner of a friggin' desk. I don't think your first instinct is to, uh, let's drop him. Well, he's just trying to do his duty. He's trying to take out the guy. I know, but a sneak attack is not really the best idea at this point. Not really even a sneak attack. (laughs) Not even a sneak attack. Just to throw yourself at this person. Obviously, you know, they're nervous, and they just haphazardly shoot things. Susan was staring at the yellow blaze of fresh wood at the corner of the sheriff's desk, forgetting everything in her amazement. So much damage inflicted by a single twitch of a finger. When Cuthbert's desperate shout awakened her to her position, she shrank back against the wall, avoided Dave's first swipe at the oversized serape, and without thinking, pulled the trigger again. There was another loud explosion, and Dave Hollis's, or Dave Hollis, a young man only two years older than herself, was flung backward with a smoky hole in his shirt between the two points of his star he wore. His eyes were wide and unbelieving. His monocle lay by one outstretched hand. Yeah. <laughs> length of the black silk ribbon. One of his feet struck his guitar and knocked it to the floor with a thrum. Nearly as musical as the cloud chords he had been trying to make. Let's, uh, let's make his death as couple. dramatic, dram, overly dramatic as possible. Dave, she whispered. Oh, Dave, I'm sorry. What did I do? Dave tried once more to get up, then collapsed forward on his face. The hole going in the front of him was small, but the one she was looking at now, the one coming out of his back, was was huge and hideous, all black and red, charred edges of of cloth. As if she had run him through with a blazing hot poker instead of shooting him with a gun, which was supposed to be merciful and civilized and was clearly neither one. Dave, she whispered. Dave, I... Susan, look out! There's someone else in the room! Ah, Roland shouted. It was Avery. He scuttered forward on his hands and knees, seized her around the calves, and yanked her feet from out from under her. She came down on her bottom with a tooth-rattling crash and was face-to-face with him. 
his frog-eyed, large-poured face, his garlic-smelling hole of a mouth. God, your girl! Of all things, that's got to be yeah. it. He whispered and reached for her. She pulled the trigger of Roland's gun again, setting the front of her serape on fire and blowing a hole in the ceiling. Plaster dusted drifted down. Every hem-sized hand settled around her throat, cutting off her wind. Somewhere far away, Roland shrieked her name. She had one more chance, maybe. That's enough, Sue. Her father spoke inside her head. One's all you need, my dear. She cocked Roland's pistol with one side of her thumb, socked the muzzle deep into the flab hanging from the underside of Sheriff Herc Avery's head, and pulled the trigger. The mess was considerable. You think? Avery's head dropped into the la- into her lap, as heavy and wept as a raw roast. Oh my god. Above it, she could feel growing heat. At the bottom edge of her vision was the yellow flicker of fire. Yeah, it's time, time to get the serape yes. off. <laughs> or, no, no, no first, on the desk, Roland shouted, yanking the door of the cell so hard on uh, the frame. Susan, the water pitcher, for your father's sake. You know, she, she grabs the water pitcher, which is filled with beer, yeah. and pours, pours it over herself. herself. Which, honestly, what... Couldn't you just take it off and just... Probably, but your first instinct when you're on fire pro- yeah. and you... Stop, you, drop, and roll! There is a thing of liquid. It's probably that first. Well, it wasn't her first reaction. It was rolling. Yeah, but... <laughs> her first reaction was just to stare at it. And according, I guess, to how much she was on fire. Yeah. But stop, drop, and roll, guys. And I don't know if you want to bring <laughs> the flames that are on your trophy to your face. That's true. That's true. If she would have listened to, you know, the spotted Dalmatian fire dog, stop, drop, and roll. Oh. I'm sure that's in her time as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, then, of course, she gets the keys, lets them out. She gets hugs from everybody. Hugs all around. Yes. And then it says, you're an angel, Elaine said, hugging her himself. Not I, she said, and began to cry harder. She thrust the gun at Roland. It felt filthy in her hand. She never wanted to touch one again. Him and me played together when we were berries. The weird names they have for children. He was one of the good ones, never a braid puller or a bully, and he grew up a good one. Now I've ended him. Who will tell his wife? You did what you had to, if not him, then us. Does thee not know it? She nodded against his chest. Avery, him I don't mind so much. <laughs> I love that. But Avery, I, I'm fine with him dying. But, but Dave. Someone might recognize the gunshots for what they were. Was it Shimi throwing firecrackers? I've got clothes for you. Hats and serapes. So, of course, they have got get dressed in their, you know, little disguises. Ugh. <laughs> uh. And, of course, it says, Where'd you get this stuff? Elaine asked. The traveler's rest, and I didn't, Shimi did. Shimi did. She held the hats. Come on, hurry. Where are we going? Elaine asked, as they stepped out onto the porch. Hookies, to start with, Susan said. That's where your horses are. They went down the street together in a loop, little group of four. Cappy was gone. Shimi had taken the mule along. Whether or no what she had done was murder, 
She had ended two lives this evening and crossed a line that could never be recrossed in the other direction. It won't matter. <laughs> she had done it for Roland, for her love, and simply knowing she could have done no different now offered some consolation. Be happy together, ye faithless, ye Kosner's ye murderers. I curse thee with ashes. Susan seized Roland's hand, and when he squeezed, she squeezed back. And as she looked up at the demon moon, its wicked face now draining from the something red-orange to silver, she thought that when she had pulled the trigger on poor Ernest Dave Hollis, she had paid for her love with the dearest currency of all had paid with her soul if he had if he left her now her aunt's curse would be fulfilled for only ashes would remain so only ashes will remain the next chapter reaping so we finally this is this is it guys this is this is it i mean we're really we're 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 nearing the end of the book we're we're heading full in next week but this is where the chapters start getting big yes like really big like this next one is well yeah i think you said like 40 it's 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 there we go all right so we're looking at 514 to 560 so i got 46 pages so, not quite, but almost double what we've been reading. Yes. And it's this a is, this big is, old chapter, so expect a few a long episodes the next few weeks. And it's going to be a lot of stuff happening. A and then the one after that, even it's freaking huge. So get ready, guys. Yeah, the next get one's 51. So, 46 and 51. So Get ready for the reaping. Char, you tree. But we've only got, I think, two more chapters in the past. And then we get to see our buddies again. Finally, finally. Feels like it's been so long. And and now you know, if you guys didn't know before, why Roland is just so... So distant from people most of the time <laughs> until he met these guys. I think a lot of years passed between here and where we meet Roland. A lot. It feels like the difference between, like, uh, episode, whatever, six and episode one. Well, you still literally got to think that or people episode died in three between three and episode four, technically. People died in between there. So not only did he, did he, of course, this stuff happened, then I'm sure people have died then. Then recently, before, like, the beginning of that, he ends up shacking up with some chick and then immediately has to kill her. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying in general, this is a huge, huge gap between yeah. this book or, or this past story that we know and the beginning of the Rollins we see. There's some huge, huge gap, probably 10, 15 years, that we don't know why and how Rolling got to where he went and the fall of Gilead and all this stuff. There's a lot that happens. Again, to me, it feels a lot like mm-hmm. between three and four we, we of uh, Star Wars. There's this big gap between, and that's where they shove all these stories. And it's like, we have to think about what happened prior to them getting sent out to do this, and then also the gap between after this and the adult Roland, which I guess some of the graphic novel novels cover that. If yeah, we, it's just not canon. Yeah. Only Stephen King will know. 
he does whatever he wants to do. <laughs> but the important stuff we've got. But that was good. And it's yeah. just, uh, it's only going to get worse. This was the happy portion. Yep, this was, this is, this is the, the, the middle, the, the end of the end. It's not even the middle of the end anymore. No, it's no, the we're, end of the end. We're, again, we have two chapters. And the, the, we're done with the past story, and we'll be moving back to present Roland. Or future, whatever Roland. It's hard to say present. He's in a fictional world in the future past. But, on that note. On that note. Whoo! You can reach me at Stars on Travel. Reach me at KC Pup. Reach the show at Beat on our Focus. Everywhere, including YouTube and podcast services around the globe. Possibly. Throw a like on the video. Appreciate that. Subscribe to the channel because that would be appreciated. And uh, comment down below. Let us know what you're thinking about these books and where you are and how's it going and what you think. Char you tree. Char oh, char you tree. Char you tree. Till next time. Long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>